0: Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. At Trinity Grace Church, our mission is to help New Yorkers grow in love by practicing the way of Jesus for the good of our city. If you're interested in Trinity Grace Church Tribeca, check out our website at tgctribeca.com where you can learn more about us and learn about ways that you can help support our church and this podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see and hear what's going on in our community. Thank you for joining us today and welcome, grace and peace to you. because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Before I begin uh, the sermon this morning, I'd like to uh, create a little bit of space to, to be quiet and to open our hearts to God that we would uh, maybe take something away fresh this morning. Um, And a big part of that is just being present. And so we invite you, whatever you bring into the room, could be lots of faith or doubt, just bring your full self to this moment. And uh, even when we go through this routine week after week, it's one of those things that can become monotonous. You have to sort of bring the freshness for it to be fresh. So just as a a gentle reminder um, to keep it fresh this morning on Pentecost Sunday. So let's take a moment of quiet, open our hearts to God and to one another. God of love, God of wind and fire blows us out and sends us a flame into the world to love it, to serve it, and to move beyond the safe and the comfortable boundaries of our friends and our tribes and the circles that give us a sense of self. Blow us out beyond our comfort. Blow us out beyond the walls of this place into our week ahead with new energy and new vision and new power. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Pentecost is all about the Holy Spirit. And it's all about what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in the world. And Pentecost, the story, is about uh, sort of a a, a crash between spirits. There is a, a spirit which has been present and persistent throughout human history. And then there is this spirit of God, which clashes with the spirit of humanity in many respects. And this story pulls to the surface what that clash is all about, and therefore what the invitation of Pentecost is for each of us. But I'd like to begin with sharing a story. Last night, uh, I was at a a wedding. And it was a wedding in Massachusetts, so I... You know, made that drive this morning. That was fun. And uh, it was a a beautiful wedding, a beautiful ceremony with two families and, of course, uh, two people who uh, represented different faith traditions. You had a family that was largely Jewish and a family that was largely Christian uh, coming together through holy matrimony. And as I officiated this wedding, there were so many beautiful parts about it, so many lovely integrations, and, um, of course, both, both of these people call our church home and, uh, and asked me to officiate, and I was very happy to do so. And everything was going so smoothly, so wonderfully, uh, until the, uh, the, the big feast afterwards, and uh, there was a, an attempted integration that just didn't quite go over very well, and it involved me. Um, I was asked to give a blessing before the meal, and then the mother of the groom was also uh, going to do a a Jewish blessing. She was going to say it in Hebrew. It's the the blessing that kicks off every Shabbat meal, and uh, it's sort of a declaration of the Lord, the king of the earth, and uh, involves bread on a plate. And I've seen this done many ways. I've I've participated in many Shabbat meals, uh, both here and in, in the Holy Land. And um, so I, I kind of understand what's going on here, but we were given very little instruction. We, we didn't really uh, talk much or plan much about how this was going to go down. So we just both sort of walk up to the microphone and there's a plate with bread. And beforehand I said, how do you want to do this? And she said, I'm not really sure. I'm not really good at this. And uh, I said, well, why don't I hold the plate with the bread? And she goes, oh, great. That's a great gesture of solidarity. And I thought, yes, it is a great gesture of solidarity. So I pick up the plate and I'm holding this this bread. And uh, she goes into her blessing. And part of it's in Hebrew. And then she translates in English. And then uh, I'm left holding the bread. And I go to to get the microphone. She hands me the microphone. And then I don't really know what to do with the bread. So I like kind of hand it to her, it, like gesture for her to take it. And she just stands there like, I don't want it. And so I'm like, all right. So I, I keep the bread. And I, I do my prayer. And at the end, uh, I uh she, she sort of puts her hands out. And I don't know which one she wants, the mic or the bread. And so I hand her the mic and she says no. And I hand her the bread and she puts my hand down. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I put it on the table and uh, and I go to give her a hug and she goes to give me a kiss. And we kissed in the mouth <laughs> in front of everyone. Not my best moment. But it, it's it's just the clumsy happenings when uh, two different worlds, two different cultures, are coming together and it just is the clumsiest thing. But it's a beautiful clumsy, right? There is actually something holy and wonderful about moments like that when, even when we don't have a lot of savvy or poise, uh, we're able to move toward one another. And though uh, I think there was a lot of like awkward, nervous laughter (laughs) by all parties involved, um, we all knew that we were here sharing something very special and profound that that sort of transcended the awkward and the clumsy. But of course we know that divisions and differences are more than just trivial, clumsy uh, moments. There are very deep and significant clashes at the core of our differences. This has always been the case from human history to this, this moment now. It seems that nothing really changes. And the story of Pentecost starts with uh, a group of people gathered together in one place. In fact, the text says very explicitly they were all together in one place. They were in the familiar, likely in that same place where uh, they shared a, the last meal with Jesus, likely in the same place or general place where they experienced the uh, resurrected Jesus uh, and the several appearances that happened behind locked doors. And here they are again. They're all together in one place, huddled, one. And we could look at that and we could go, oh, that's, that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, look at the unity of the early church or the early disciples. But what we see the Holy Spirit doing here is not really uh, coming and rewarding what's happening here, but disrupting what's happening here. The experience that they will have of God is a jarring and disrupting moment that doesn't keep them together or even solidify them in their oneness and their gatheredness, but it scatters them. It moves them outward. Their faces are now turned out to the outsider, and nothing will ever be the same for these people again. The day of Pentecost comes, they're all together in one place, and uh, you know, picture it how you will, but a sound like a mighty rushing wind comes into the place and fills the place. Uh, these flames that are in the shape of tongues, which is significant, they, uh, they come and they rest on each one of them, and then they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other languages or tongues. And so there's this chaotic, disruptive, almost terrifying experience. I mean, can you imagine what that would be right now if the room was filled with, like, hurricane wind sound? I mean, we would be terrified. Uh, If there were flames in this room, like, we'd be running for the extinguishers. Like, that's what we do when there's fire that's uncontained. And yet, they're experiencing this God in this moment, that is uncontained. Uncontained by our expectations, uncontained by uh, the ways that we put God in boxes and assign meaning to God, Uh, uncontained by our divisions and, and unique identities. God is not contained by any one tribe, any one identity, any one group. God is God. God is beyond And God, it seems, God's spirit, it seems, will not rest until humanity understands that. Until humanity understands that we can't just rest safely and securely with our little group all together in one room. (laughs) Like we, what we're doing now, this is good, this is beautiful. But like this, when we start to think this is it, that's a problem. When we start to think our gender is it, that's a problem. When we start to think our socioeconomic status is it, that's a problem. When we start to think that our sexuality is it, that's a problem. There are a lot of things in this world and pieces of our identity that when we draw a line around it and say, this is it, this is good, this is true, this is beautiful, God's in here, that God's spirit disrupts it. And here, what we have if we zoom out is a reversal of another story. And it's one of my favorite stories of the whole Bible. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And do you remember this story? Um, it's it's an iconic, almost like mythic in its proportion for what, the scale of it. And you have all of humanity speaking one language, all of humanity united, strong, and putting their will and their force toward a, a common goal. And that goal is in the story, according to Genesis, to to make a name that's great for themselves. That spirit of humanity that wants to not just have unity, but uniformity. Like we want to take how we see and how we uh, envision and how we imagine the world and we want to project it onto everyone else. We want people to be like us. I want people to be like me. We want people to be like us. And... These people start achieving something great. They start building this tower that's never been seen before. And in the story, as the story goes, they're met with a divine disruption, a lot like this one. A disruption where this common language, which enabled them to do something great together, is confused. And no longer can they unite around this project to make a name great for themselves. Rather, they're scattered to their great dismay. The one thing they didn't want to be was scattered, the story tells us. But the one thing God wanted was for them to be scattered. Because it seems through that story and throughout the whole line of the Hebrew Scriptures and now in the teaching and story of Jesus, that there's something happening. That God is trying to show us something. That God isn't just for one person or one group, but that God is for all humanity. And there's an impulse in us, that is violent to the universal love of God. There's an impulse in us that cuts against the grain of God's expansive, inclusive love. And it tries to put a border around it. And it tries to define who's in and who's out. And it's addicted to a sense of belonging for purpose and for meaning and security. And what's interesting is this early group of disciples, they're experiencing a reversal of that. Those who were scattered, those who were confused, that sort of imperial impulse to, like, build a great empire and to do it to scale have been scattered and confused and tribalized. And now God's ready to take the tribes and bring them back together. And so it's different, different than the imperial impulse, different than the Babel impulse. It's not to make a great name for humanity and to do something great and imperial, but rather... It's to move toward each other in our differences and not only discover one another, but discover God as we discover one another. Now, there's a lot of comical features to this story. I mean, the most obvious one has to do with the drinking accusation, and uh, it's, it's kind of a chaotic experience, and it gathers a lot of in, in interest, so people are like huddled around, and they're all pilgrims because this is the Feast of Pentecost. By the way, the Feast of Pentecost is the feast that celebrates the giving of the law. So people are here in Jerusalem on visit from all over. They hear this commotion, they sort of show up, and uh, they're asking this question, what does this mean? And as they hear the chaos, they they hear people speaking in their own language, their heart language, their native language, the language of their tribe. And it's, well, it's a lot of things. Our text tells us they were bewildered, that they were amazed, that they were in awe. There's a lot of emotional responses to what they see, uh, but some of them doubt, and some of them are like, I'm not really sure about this. It seems like they're drinking or they've had too much wine. And then there's this explanatory moment, and this is where it gets really funny, because Peter stands up, and he's going to explain what's going on. They're going, what does this mean? And he's like, let me tell you. First of all, it's not because we've had too much wine. And what's so funny is he's like, he doesn't go, we haven't had too much wine, that's not a thing we do. He doesn't say that. He says, we haven't had too much wine. It's only nine o'clock. <laughs> Five o'clock's coming, you know? Like, I don't know. But he, but he dispels the wine rumor and the drunk rumor, and then he gets to the heart of something. And this is where, for me, the text sort of comes alive, and it sings. Peter's going to quote a prophet. And, you know, you got to know that Peter's been thinking about this. I don't know that this just hits Peter in a trance and he just starts speaking the words of God. No, he's been wrestling with the prophet Joel and what Joel was, was reflecting on. I mean, Joel, after all, was uh, a post-exilic prophet, which basically meant after Israel was in exile, they kind of came back to their city, but it was laid to waste and desolate, and they sort of had to rebuild, and um, there were a lot of lessons learned in exile. I mean, they were uh, without their homeland for a long time, and It felt like a crisis, but they had gotten through it. And that sense of hope that came from that persistence and the sense of hope that came from persevering through exile was was on their lips, and it was in their imaginations, and they started to reimagine a future. And Joel, as he's thinking about this rebuilding and as he's thinking about this resettling in the holy city, Jerusalem, he has this utterance. And Peter basically says this is what's happening now Joel says in the last days again he's he's imagining the future in the last days god says i'll pour out my spirit on all people i'll pour out my spirit on all people Literally, the text says, and I, you know, this week I don't always do this, and I'm not doing this to impress you, but like I had the Greek text out next to the English text and kind of like analyzing it. And there's a lot of things that kind of come out in that. One of them is the Greek word here is not people, it's flesh. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. This wedding of spirit. And flesh, this wedding of God and all humanity, is what the prophet imagines when he imagines the future. Now, why was the prophet dreaming of that? What was it about exile that led the prophet to go, I imagine God as a God of all flesh, not just a God of our people. I imagine God as one who will pour out his spirit on all humanity, not just a small little subgroup of humanity. And what is it about Peter that after the Jesus event, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, he gets to wondering and re-reflecting on these prophets and these sayings. And he's connecting the dots. And all these people are like, wait, what's going on? We hear you in our own language. And Peter says, this is just what Joel was talking about. That end of days, those last days that Joel imagined, that's happening now. Like, game is on. This is birthday time. We're birthing something new. And so he goes on to say multiple times, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Verse 18, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And all these cool things will happen. Uh, and they're kind of reversals. So like uh, the young men will see visions and the old men will dream dreams. Now, We're used to like young people having dreams. Like they're, they're thinking about the future, future oriented, they're dreaming about it. And the old men... Um, are having those kind of things. There's a reinvigoration in their age at the dawning of this spirit. Like something new is popping open for them when they look at their life and they look at the world because of this kind of event. And the young people aren't just dreamers, they're visionaries. And visionaries are people who are wise and skillful and they can see the landscape and they can come up with a plan and a way forward. And it's the youth who are now offering their voices of wisdom the, the old reinvigorated the young speaking into the mix men and women at work here and then we get the crazy stuff it's uh, <laughs> wonders in the heavens above signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke and the Sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood and before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord for years um, I took that very literally and was taught to take that very literally. Like, when will we know that the, the last days that Joel's talking about have come? When the, the sun turns to, bl- you know, blood. Um, and, and the moon and the, the stars are shaken. And there's blood and fire and billows of smoke. Um, and so then we're left to go, like, interpret the, the world and interpret the, the, the times. But this is all language. Not for, uh, you know, solar eclipse but it's language for a cataclysmic change. The prophet says, in those last days, there's going to be a huge shift in how humanity thinks and acts and is. It won't be the spirit that's driven humanity, this spirit of uniformity, this empire spirit that wants to dominate with fear at its core. Or the tribal spirit that just takes the empire spirit and localizes it. I think we're kind of in the midst of that as a country in some ways. The origins of our country were tied to the sort of colonizing spirit of Europe. And it did a lot of damage along the way for all of its grand visions. And now, through hundreds of years of that sort of imperial spirit, we're now tribalizing once again and we have this fresh sort of identity politics happening and people are going, no, I'm going to opt out of the colonial narrative, thank you, and I'm going to sort of find my tribe and my people and discover what's here. And the spirit of Pentecost kind of goes, yeah, the empire thing, that's bad and evil and it's against the spirit of God, but so is the pure tribalization, Whether you go empire or you go small tribe, both of them have the same kind of thing at the core. They have fear and self-preservation and protection and self-interest and preservation. But the Spirit of God is blowing and disturbing all those instincts. Whether you find comfort in the big grand narrative, you know, like these days it can be nationalism, or it can be capitalism, or it can be um, your religion, or it can be your political party, whatever the grand sweeping thing is that's captured your imagination, maybe the Spirit of God would disrupt that, would call some of that into question, would force you to look at whatever the other side of that binary is, or that opposite, through a different lens, through a lens of love, through a lens of compassion. And maybe you who feel driven to a localized identity, and maybe you've had enough or fed up with whatever the dominant thing was, and so you're like, I'm just going to find my my people in my gender, or my race, or my sexuality, or my socioeconomic standing, and I'm going to find my solidarity there. And I say understandable and good and beautiful in so many ways. And of course, there is that... Tower of Babel effect that needs to happen. Like, we got to be scattered, right? we got to break up empire and those instincts. But we can't be content to just be in our tribes either. How will we learn to move toward one another? And I think that's what the spirit of Pentecost is all about. The fiery red flames are drawing us together. Now, the flames weren't in the shape of flowers. They were in the shape of tongues, which has to do with translation. Like, when you hear someone... And you can't quite make it out, it doesn't quite make sense to you. you know, in our world of identity politics, are there identities that just don't make sense to you? Are there is there groupthink that's not your groupthink that just is totally weird to you and it doesn't make any sense? That is the task of Pentecost, the work of holy translation not cowering like the disciples were early in this story, in one place all together, content in their little circle, holy circle, but disrupted by the Spirit and blown out into the world, engaged in this act of holy translation. That's what the Spirit of God is up to. And so whether we think we have things on lockdown in our way of seeing or way of thinking, Pentecost invites us to say, maybe, maybe it's not so clear. Maybe, maybe you actually need the other person or the other group to have a better understanding of who God is. Maybe you actually need to be blown to the outer skirts of the world in order to have an awakening. And that's what we see the church doing. I mean, this is the radicality of the church. <laughs> the sun is going dark. Right? The moon is turning to blood. Because what was a, a few, contained to a few disciples is now going to the Jewish people from every region. And later in the book of Acts, it will start to spill out to the Gentiles in this message that God loves all flesh, that God loves all people, that God is for all people, is going to catch fire and spread throughout the empire. And the only people who don't like it, the only people who try to contain it or stop it are the people who are addicted to their empire or to their tribe. They don't have a vision for something beyond either. And ironically, the church ended up tribalizing. <laughs> this church that said, we exist for the world. This church that said, God loves all human beings. That there's no distinction between male and female, slave or free. Uh, you know, the, all these distinctions are gone. This same church that said, when Jesus died, the, the veil, the temple veil, was torn in two. These gaps and these barriers between us and God and us and each other are gone and irrelevant. Let's live in the light of that. And they ended up drawing another wall around it. And we have come back to that cycle, 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 cycle throughout church history. Drawing new lines, drawing new boundaries, dividing when we disagree, tribalizing once again. And I think it's time for that fresh wind of the Spirit for that fresh move of God in our imaginations and in our hearts to move us toward one another in love, to move us toward one another in curiosity, to move us toward one another as those who are loved by God and whom God is pouring out God's Spirit. Now, what does that mean for you? I can't exactly say. I can say last night at a wedding, there were different ways people managed the tension between the two cultures. And I heard story after story of different coping mechanisms. And because I had the sermon in mind and, and the season in mind, I was like planting little seeds here and there of, uh, of uh, different ways to imagine. So people who were like, ah, live and let live, right? And others were like, I've been working for 10 years to see this person converted. <laughs> like those two polar opposites. Like both of them are kind of in many ways like Keeping the human spirit going and not open to God's spirit, they're closed toward each other. Right? That sort of—I I thought about this this week. You can have lots of places that say we're open and welcoming and inclusive, but they're—they're they're not really engaged, and they're—they're they're only that way until it inconveniences them or it's like gets messy, and they're like, "I'm going to back out from that." Like true love and inclusion means engagement. It means curiosity. It means. A back-and-forth relationship Pentecost isn't about going and converting everybody to your thing that's not what Pentecost is about I don't think that's what the Spirit of God's doing in the world the Spirit of God is in the world showing us that everyone is loved by God and is deserving of the treatment that people who are loved by God deserve and that we're meant to be pointing people to the whole reason we think like that in the first place, which is Jesus Christ. The whole reason we see all humanity is loved by God is because we have this beautiful testimony of Jesus Christ. The whole reason that we think in the way that we do about the Spirit of God and what the Spirit's doing, and the reason we do Pentecost is because of the teaching and story of Jesus Christ. And so rather than thinking like, I gotta get you to become a Christian, we should be thinking like, I want to. I want to share with you how Jesus is totally reshaping how I think about the world. And it's that no agenda kind of relating that's real love. And many more people will become, be drawn to Jesus and will become Christians through that process rather than this coercive, heavy shame context. And all the people who are converted through, you know, coercive and heavy shame tactics usually have their faith sort of unravel or untangle at some point or another. Because it wasn't the mesmerizing love of God that drew them in in the first place. It was some other social factor. So Pentecost just says, pardon my French, to hell with the social factors. Let's let love draw us in. Let's let the love of God pull us together and bind us together and move us toward each other. That's what church is about. That's what this table is about. That's what our church is about. And so our church is a place that wants to sort of be on a journey together in New York City of moving toward each other and inviting people along on that journey, wrestling with the story of Jesus, letting our assumptions be uh, confronted and critiqued, letting our God pictures be confronted and critiqued like the prophets did all the time, and moving us toward the love of God through love of neighbor. May God blow fresh wind and give us holy translation for these days and months ahead. As we go into our workplaces, as we build friendships in our city, as we seek to live lives that matter, may God's spirit be with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And please take time to rate and review. And of course, we couldn't do this without your support. So if you would like to make a donation, you can text TGC Tribeca to 77977. That's TGC Tribeca to 77977. And your support is very much appreciated. Grace and peace to you.